The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. So, yeah, I'm Brendan Norton. I'm from King of Grace. Uh, and I would like to start this sermon with a question. Uh, question I already know the answer to, but I just want to see how you respond. How many of you in your lives have experienced some form of suffering? have had a bad day, have lost a job, have had a sick family member, anything like that? Would anyone raise their hand to those things? (laughs) Oh, praise God, that's great. (laughs) Now, if enough of you hadn't raised your hands, I would have quickly pivoted to a sermon about lying. So I'm grateful for your honesty there. Now, based off of the response, uh, the reality is, is that every single one of us experiences suffering. Uh, some more than others, some more frequently than others, but suffering is something that none of us can escape in this life. And now, in light of that suffering, what is our response to be? What, uh, what hope can we have in suffering? It's something we all experience. And I would like to point you to, I think, the ultimate resource and the ultimate hope you can have in suffering, which is the hope of God's comfort, because God is a God of comfort, as we are about to see in the passage I will read. Uh, Before I read the passage, I'd just like to pray uh, again. So, Lord, just thank you uh, for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, uh, that you are the God of comfort and that you are always seeking to give comfort to your children. Lord, thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much Uh, that these are people who are passionate about you and these are people who uh, love you and who you love so tremendously. And so, God, I pray that uh, out of the sermon today, they would be comforted and rely upon you as the God of comfort. Amen. So if you would turn to me to 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now you must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us 
through the prayers of many. Now, to offer a little background, uh, as you will see by the two in front of Corinthians, this is the second letter of uh, Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, The first one uh, he had written was a letter in many ways of rebuke to a young church that had quite a few issues. You see, Corinth uh, was a major Greek city in the Roman Empire, and as such, it had all of the decadence and all of the immorality you would find in an ancient Roman city. There was prostitution, there was idolatry, uh, there was mistreatment of the poor and the oppressed, and unfortunately for the church in Corinth, these were activities that they were also participating in to one degree or another. And so Paul, as the man who went and planted this church and who deeply loved them, felt it necessary to confront them about their behavior and about how they were not reflecting the gospel in their lives. But thankfully, after sending this letter, things did change in the Corinthian church. There was repentance on their their part, and there was a lot of change that went on in their lives. And so in this second letter, we find a much more conciliatory tone from Paul, You find a much more hopeful and joyful tone. And I think as we're reading the beginning of this letter, the reason why Paul is so emphatic about speaking of God's comfort is because this had been a church that needed comfort. This had been a church who was weary of their own sin. This was a church that was weary of living in a society which was antagonistic towards them. And this was a church who was just weary of the daily sufferings they would encounter as any other human would. And so Paul wants to give them hope and he wants to give them comfort. And so the first point I'd like to make is that God is the God and source of comfort. So as we've read in uh, verses three through seven, we see that Paul describes God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Now, comfort isn't something that just appears randomly. It's not magic. You know, I have comfort behind my hands. Comfort comes directly from God because God is characterized by comfort, so much so that he can be called the Father of, com- or Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, an additional point in that is that Paul does not say that God is the God of some comfort. God is the God of a little bit of comfort here and there. You know, he comes up next to you and he just gives you a pat on the back like, well, everything will be fine. You know, I'm God. No, God is the God of all comfort such that any comfort we experience in this life is a gift from God to us. Uh, you have a friend that comes beside you in a trial. That is comfort from God. Uh, You have a helpful word given to you by your pastor. That is a comfort from God. And so God is all-encompassing in how he comforts. And not only is he all-encompassing in all of his comforts, but his comfort reaches us in all of our afflictions. As it says here, in verse four, uh, that God comforts us in all our affliction. Again, God is not the God that comforts in 
a few afflictions. You know, he'll help you if you're sick, but if you're having uh, relational problems, he's just going to bail on you. You know, God is not a God who is weak and who cannot comfort you in those things, but rather God comforts us in all of our afflictions. And now that we've established that God is a God of comfort, why does he comfort us? What is the purpose? Uh, Are we merely comforted just to feel better? I think in one sense, yes, we are comforted because God loves us. He wants us to feel that comfort. But because God is so gracious and giving, he also wants to see that comfort extended from us to others. And so as we see in verse 5 or verse 4, Uh, We are comforted so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comforts that we ourselves receive from God. Now, Paul, as he continues, goes on and sort of gives a little bit of added detail to this. And this is somewhat of an odd thing, but he says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now, everyone loves to share in comfort. Everyone loves to share good things. But it seems that Paul is saying that you will share in comfort, but you also are going to share in sufferings. What does this mean? Why do I want to be a Christian if the Bible is telling me I'm going to suffer? This seems a little odd. Well, you see, I think what Paul is referring to here, the sufferings of Christ, is the sufferings that come upon us as being Christians, We live in a world that is under the authority of the devil, that has our own sin mixed into it, that has the sin of others. And so there are many times when we will suffer because of our witness to Christ, or simply suffering in general, detached from that. But specifically here, Paul is talking about that suffering that we experience as we live for Christ. And the notion of sharing abundantly... I think the best way to explain that is like a river after it rains. So there's a big storm, and it rains, and it rains, and it rains. And after it's rained enough, the water level in the river rises so much that it's not just in the river anymore, but it goes onto the land and starts covering that. It overflows onto the land from the river. And that is how God, or how Paul is describing the suffering that we will experience as a Christian. There is an overflow of suffering that we experience. And now, I have to say, this probably isn't something you wanted to hear today, or really ever want to hear, that I'm going to experience an overflow of suffering. I don't think any of you are such masochists that you came in here and are going, yay, I'm going to suffer, woo! No. No one enjoys suffering. But with this reality of our suffering, Paul also offers us good news. That in the same way that this overflow of suffering as Christians will come upon us, an equal and greater measure of comfort will come upon us too. For as we share in the sufferings of Christ abundantly, so too will we share in his comfort. And as Paul moves on, Uh, to verse 6, he shows how this actually happens in his life. When Paul and the other members of his apostolic crew are suffering, it is for the comfort 
of the Corinthians, there is an overflow of comfort that comes from the overflow of his suffering. Uh, when he suffers, it is for the comfort of others. And because he knows that the Corinthians are suffering in verse 7, he knows that they are going to be comforted. And so I'd like to uh, lend that to you as a hope, is that if you are suffering, you will be comforted. God is the God of all comfort. God is the God who comforts us in all our affliction. And as Paul is confident that there will be comfort for the Corinthians because of their suffering, you too can be confident today that if you are suffering, you will also be comforted. And I suppose to share an illustration so that this doesn't just seem abstract, uh, I've seen this kind of comfort in my own life. Now I'm 25 years old, so I'm rather young. Uh, but a few years ago, my father passed away. He was living in New Mexico and died of a heart attack. And unfortunately, my whole family was on, we all live in New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Uh, and I was the only one who was able to go to the funeral. My boss paid for me to go, uh, but I was alone. There were no other family members there. Uh, it was a very odd experience. And I felt very down, as you'd imagine. You know, someone who loses their father, it's not a fun thing. And I felt all of the emotions of grief, of confusion, of anger, all the things that could come from losing a loved one. And it was in this time that a friend named Christian called me. And he called me because his father had also passed away a year before. And he knew that I needed a friend that day. And he said to me, when my father died, you know, God came to me and comforted me through friends, through family. But the ultimate comfort that I received from God was that even though I'd lost my earthly father, I had a heavenly father who loved me, who couldn't die, who couldn't uh, pass away. And that comfort that my friend shared with me the comfort that he had received from God, that he had given to me, was what helped me get through that funeral. It's what helped me uh, maintain composure, even though I was alone in a state I'd never been in. And so this is how God, in many ways, wants to share his comfort with us, is through the ministry of other people. You know, if you have suffered, God, I imagine, has comforted you. And if you've suffered and you've been comforted, God would also have you to share that comfort with others. And so, in an application of just a few points, I would say, uh, as I've said, suffering is a universal experience. It's something we all have to go through. But because God is the source of comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, there is not a tear shed that God does not want to comfort you in. And God will never abandon you in your troubles because he is the God of all comfort. And again, if you have suffered and you've been comforted, I would encourage you to seek out those who are suffering now. I would encourage you to share the gift of comfort that God has given to you with those who are in need of it. I would also share with you, if you are suffering right now, that you would seek out those who have been comforted 
that you would allow others to speak into your life in order to comfort you. And now as we move on to verses 8 through 10, Paul has been talking about the comfort of God. He's been talking about the sufferings that uh, have afflicted him or that afflict Christians. And now he wants to bring it home in a very tangible way in that he wants to share with them how much he has suffered, but how much God has comforted him. And so Paul begins in verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So Paul, as a missionary, traveled extensively throughout the Roman world, and a large portion of that was Asia, uh, sort of where Turkey is today. And apparently, in this time in Asia, we don't exactly know what happened, Paul experienced a trial and a burden so great that it caused him to despair of life itself. Now, Paul, as a man who suffered a lot in his life, uh, has given us potentially some clues as to exactly what happened. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29, Paul gives a list of the things that he had experienced in his ministry. So I'll read that to you. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? Now, that's a lot of suffering for one person to experience. And I can tell you for myself, I would probably despair of life, uh, you know, if my car was broken. <laughs> Never mind being trapped at sea uh, or stoned by people. And so, whatever suffering Paul experienced which would bring him to such a low point would have to be an incredibly difficult thing. But one beautiful thing about what Paul does here is that he does share his sufferings. He does share that he has suffered. Uh, and I think this is an important lesson for us in how we live our lives, that Paul, this sort of super saint in many ways, a preacher of the gospel, writer of most of the New Testament, uh, was not afraid to share his sufferings for the benefit of others. And I think this transparency in struggle is something we don't just find in Paul. It's something we find in other modern-day believers. And one of my favorites uh, is a man named Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, was a... English preacher in London 
back in the 1800s. And since he's passed on, he's been known as the Prince of Preachers. He preached thousands of sermons. Uh, his church was packed with thousands of people. Uh, he's one of the most prolific writers in Christian history and very much beloved by believers back then and many today. Bless you. <laughs> now, here is a man, again, like Paul, who you could call a super saint. He was doing everything well. He was doing everything very effectively. But Spurgeon was also a man, like Paul, who suffered affliction. So you see, when Spurgeon was a young preacher, uh, after he was getting a little popular, he rented out a place called the Surrey Garden Music Hall in London. It was a big you know, music hall. It could fit thousands of people, uh, which he needed to fit because of how many people came to his sermons. But as he was preparing his sermon one day, or uh, preparing to preach in the music hall, someone in the crowd yelled, fire, fire, the balcony is falling, hurry, run. Now, there wasn't a fire, but everyone started to panic when they heard that there was one. And so people started trampling over each other. The balcony actually did fall because of how much weight was on it. Uh, and at the end of that day, 28 people were injured and seven people were killed. And during this panic, Charles Spurgeon tried to calm the crowd, but to no avail. Uh, he was unable to prevent this disaster. And because of this, this experience haunted Spurgeon, not just for a few days, not just for a month or a year, but for his entire life. In the day immediately after, or the Sunday immediately after this experience, he said to the crowd, we assembled here, O Lord, this day with mingled feelings of joy and sorrow. Thy servant feared he would never be able to meet this congregation again. Such was his despair that he experienced a lifelong bout and battle with depression. Uh, many times he would see the Bible and burst into tears. Many times he would feel unable or unwilling to get out of bed. Uh, and many times he just felt his soul so weary, he didn't know how to go on. Here was a man who suffered tremendously but shared that struggle with those he ministered to and whom he loved. And so hearing about Paul, hearing about Charles Spurgeon, hearing about the tremendous sufferings which they experienced, you may be asking, what's the point of that suffering? Why do people have to suffer? Why did they suffer? Or perhaps more poignantly, why am I suffering? Why am I sick in my body? Why am I sick in my mind? Why are my family members uh, in such dire straits? Why am I fired from my job? Why uh, an endless amount of suffering? You could say why. And Paul, in response to those questions, and those questions for himself, gives us an answer in verse 9 and 10. He suffered in order that we might not put our confidence in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who from so great a death rescued us and will rescue us, and in whom we put our hope that he will rescue us again. 
You see, the afflictions that come into our life are not random, haphazard, or purposeless. Rather, they can be the means by which God causes us to hope in him. Paul and company may have despaired of life and felt that everything was going to end, but in being brought so low, in having no resources of their own to deal with their troubles, God was able to redirect and retune their hearts to himself, the only one who could truly give them comfort, the only one who could truly deliver them from their suffering. And now this isn't just a one-time occurrence, but Paul is sure and trusts that God did deliver him. He will deliver, and he will deliver again and again. And so if you are suffering today, I would encourage you, God does not abandon his people, even when we feel we may be abandoned, even when we feel we may have received the sentence of death. God is the one who will comfort you, and God is the one who would deliver you. And if you don't believe me and you don't believe Paul, believe in the gospel. Believe in what Christ has done because what we see in the death and resurrection of Christ is the ultimate expression of God's comfort and deliverance from our suffering and sorrow. Living our lives apart from God, we live in a state of sin. We live in a state of estrangement from God. And because of this, because God is holy, because he is righteous, we are under an actual sentence of death, not physical, but spiritual, and justly so. But this reality of sin and destruction, similar to the experience of Paul, is not meant to make us despair. It's not meant to make us give up. It's not meant to make us simply sit and wallow in our sin, but it's meant to redirect our hearts to the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God who raises us from the dead spiritually when we put our faith in him. And so through faith in Christ, we find the ultimate expression of God's deliverance and God's comfort that he would send his only son to die for us, for our sins, and who loved us and will love us till the end. And so in light of all of this, we can place our faith in the God of all comfort to comfort us in our greatest suffering and our greatest sorrow because God has already done that through Christ and God will continue to do that whether your suffering is from sin, whether your suffering is from the world or whether your suffering is just something you can't explain or don't know the source of. And for Paul... He experienced this with this trial, that God delivered him, that God would deliver him. Charles Spurgeon also experienced this deliverance because you see, after the events of that stampede, after being given a lifelong bout of depression, after all of these horrible things, this is when Spurgeon did the things that he's remembered for today. This is when Spurgeon became the Prince of Preachers when he wrote so many lovely books that help us to look to Christ, when he comforted so many souls through the suffering that he experienced, it was after this that God comforted him and delivered him through giving him the strength to walk through that. 
And so again, this is the comfort which God offers us here as well. The comfort of knowing that our afflictions, whatever they may be, cancer, death, anxiety, depression, sickness, none of these can ultimately triumph over us because God will deliver us. And so as we come to the end of this passage, we just have one nice little verse left, verse 11. So after Paul has explained that God is the God of all comfort, the source of it, he's demonstrated that God would comfort him in his greatest affliction. Now Paul calls on the Corinthians to respond to this situation. And so verse 11 says, You must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So in light of the great distress that Paul had experienced and the deliverance, Paul is calling on the Corinthians to pray. Not merely to pray because it's a good Christian thing to do, or pray because you're bored, but to pray so that he would be helped. This is the deliverance that Paul uh, or this is the means of further deliverance that Paul is giving the Corinthians. Uh, this blessing that he refers to here is the blessing of comfort from God that comes through the prayers of the Corinthians. And not only is this prayer going to bring comfort, but it will bring everything to its ultimate reality and ultimate purpose is that thanksgiving would be rendered to God. Now, God is not selfish or self-seeking, but because God has done such great things for Paul, because God has done such great things for the Corinthians, Paul and God desire that God would be magnified, that God would be thanked for all the good that he has done. And I think this is right because God deserves it. God deserves it as the one who loves us, the one who gave himself up for us, and the one who will comfort us in all of our affliction. And so in a final response to this wonderful meditation of Paul on the comfort of God, what should we today do? Now, we can accept the comfort that I hope you've received from this passage and walk away. You can do that. That's okay. <laughs> uh, you can also comfort other people with the comfort that you've received from God. I think that's another point that... Paul would like us to take from this passage. But I think at the very end of what Paul would have us to do in light of this is to pray, is to pray for our brothers and sisters here and elsewhere that they would receive deliverance and comfort for God and pray in such a way that God would be glorified through those prayers, that people would recognize readily and easily that God is the one who is comforting them and that they would thank God for that, and that God would continue to do his work in their lives. And so, in concluding with an exhortation to prayer, I'd like to give you a verse from the Psalms. For those of you uh, who may question whether prayer is truly going to help, who may need just a little extra encouragement to pray today, and this comes from Psalm 145.18, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. God is not far away from your prayers. God is the God of all comfort, who will comfort you in your sufferings. God 
is the God who comforts through prayer. And all of this results in thanksgiving for him. And so I pray today that you would pray. I pray today that you would comfort others. And I pray today that you would be thankful and comforted by the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.